ಸುಸುತ ಕಂಸಚಾಣುರಮರ್ದನ ಸೆಕೆಂಡ್ ಚಾಪ್ಟರ್ ಪ್ಲೀಸ್ ರಿಪೀಟ್ಸ್ ದ ವರ್ಸಸ್ ಆಫ್ಟರ್ ಮೀ ವರ್ಸಸ್ ನೈನ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಟೆನ್ ಐಲ್ ಚಾಂಟ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಪ್ಲೀಸ್ ಚಾಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ಟರ್ ಮೀ ಸಂಜಯ ಉಚ ಸಂಜಯ ಉಚ ಮುಕ್ತಿಕೇಶಮುಕ್ತಿಕೇಶೋತ್ಸೋವಿಂದ ಉಷ್ಣೀಂಬೂವ ತಮುವಾಚ ಋಷಿಕೇಶ ತಮುವಾಚ ಋಷಿಕೇಶ ಪ್ರಹಸನ್ ಇವ ಭಾರತ ಪ್ರಹಸನ್ನಿವ ಭಾರತ ಸೇನೋರುಭಯೋರ್ಮಧ್ಯೆ ಸೇನೋರುಭಯೋರ್ಮಧ್ಯೆ so last time we had um, studied it up to the 10th verse of the second chapter where arjuna the 9th verse says sanjay is reporting all of this to the blind king dhritarashtra who wants to know what happened in the battlefield so he says um the prince arjuna said i will not fight this war and he put and he sat down silently he said he says to krishna arjuna says to krishna i will not fight this war and he sits down silently and then the 10th verse says to him that means to arjuna who was thus sorrowing sorrowful and what a dramatic setting you know in the middle of two armies in this uh, between the two armies who were about to engage in terrible battle to that one to to the one who was sitting down sorrowing in this manner krishna spoke these words as if smiling he's at not at all moved by the difficulty of the situation that the terrible anxiety that arjuna is suffering from krishna is not moved by it nor by arjuna's arguments as if smiling prahasanniva means as if smiling a uh, faint smile uh, and idam vachaha he spoke krishna spoke these words which words the words which are going to follow now so from this onwards from the 11th verse onwards of the second chapter 11th verse of the second chapter the teaching actually begins so far is the setting the context now the teaching begins from the 11th verse these words krishna spoke these words means all the words it means literally the words you find in the 11th verse but actually it means all the verses starting from the 11th verse till the end of the bhagavad gita uh, 18th chapter i think the last verse that krishna spoke was 66th verse probably
the teaching ends in the, in the um, 66th verse and a few more things Krishna said after that. So 18th chapter up to that continues the teaching. Arjuna's friend, guide, playmate, um, you know, childhood um, friend, Krishna, uh, uh, he now becomes the teacher, the spiritual master. Um, and later on, he will reveal himself as an incarnation of God. So that will happen later. So here starts the teaching. Eleventh verse, please repeat after me. Shri Bhagavan Uvacha Ashochan and Vasho Chastwam Ashochan and Vasho Chastwam Pragyavadan Shabhasha say Pragyavadan Shabhasha say Gata soon Agata soon Gata soon Agata soon Pandita so the blessed, blessed Lord said, You have been sorrowing for those who should not be grieved for, and yet you are talking learned words. You speak like a pandit. The learned grieve neither for the dead nor for the li living. Okay, so what does this mean? Start with the end of the verse. Often, here's a secret. In Sanskrit texts, the language is such that uh, often it is meaningful to start with the, with the last part of the verse, you know, that gives you the key to the entire teaching. The last part of the verse is, the pandits do not grieve. Nanu shonjanti panditaha. Who is a pandit? It's a Sanskrit word actually. And can, can you hear me at the back? Okay. So it's a Sanskrit word, but it's actually part of English now. What does it mean in um, modern journalese? Uh, pandit means a, a, like a, an expert in something? Correct. That's not so far from the truth. I'm not so far from the original meaning. The original Sanskrit meaning was um, a scholar. So the um, religious scholars in India were called pandits. But the deeper meaning is literally a pandit is one who has panda. Now, what is the word panda? If you ask most Indians, those who have heard the word immediately will relate it to a, a, pre, a, a priest, a temple priest. But that's not the original meaning of the word panda. Shankaracharya in his commentary in the Gita, later on he will define the meaning of, uh, meaning of panda. He will explain panda, the one who has panda is a pandit. But what is panda? It's not a, not a temple priest. Panda, the word means enlightenment about the self knowledge about the self what am i who am i the one who knows this for sure this knowledge this enlightenment is called panda and the one who has got it is called a pandit atma vishaya pragya is panda shankaracharya defines the the knowledge realization about oneself is panda so not that all the pandits have uh, are, are enlightened I guess the extended meaning is somebody who's enlightened, who is an expert on some particular subject is called a pandit. But the original meaning of pandit is not uh, an expert on uh, the Wall Street or uh, on the results of the game or, or politics. 
not even one who is a religious scholar. It actually means um, uh, an enlightened person, the one who knows who am I or what am I. And this points to the core of the entire teaching, the central teaching of the whole Bhagavad Gita, which Krishna is going to give Arjuna here and through Arjuna to all of us across the millennia, across the centuries and millennia. The central teaching is this, uh, know thyself. You have to know who or what you are. That is the solution to all human problems. Why is knowing who am I the solution to all human problems? Because Vedanta traces the root cause of human suffering to ignorance about our real nature. We do not know what we are. I'm not even saying who we are. We do not know what actually we are. Not knowing this, we make a mistake. We think we are these bodies and minds. It's a natural mistake to make. The first thing we experience about ourselves is this body, is this person. We don't even question it. I am this person. What do you mean I experience this person? I am this person. No, you're not. We will see that slowly. And from that one fatal mistake, tragic mistake, the entire drama, the panorama of samsara, of human existence, trials and tribulations of life, lifetimes proceed from that. That is the analysis of Vedanta, not only Vedanta. In fact, all the traditional systems of Indian philosophy, Vedanta, Nyaya, they all say ignorance is the root cause of our problem of samsara and knowledge is the solution. Ajnana, literally ignorance, is the problem and jnana, literally knowledge, is the solution. Yes, so, so Nyaya philosophy says that, the Vaisheshika philosophy says that, Sankhya philosophy certainly says that, Yoga philosophy says that, Vedanta says that, Almost, almost all, I'm using the words carefully, almost all the traditional schools of Indian philosophy, including the, the so-called heterodox schools, the Buddhist schools, the Jaina schools, they all say either ignorance is, is a central problem or at least very co close to the central problem. Yes, this much with a qualifier. Ignorance about what? And depending on that knowledge about what will set you free, that differs from system to system. That differs from system to system. Uh, in Vedanta, which Krishna is going to teach here, the problem is ignorance about what I am. And therefore the solution will be knowledge. And therefore the one who has that knowledge, the knowledge is called Panda. Knowledge about who I am. Knowledge about what I am. That knowledge is technically called Panda. And uh, the one who has got it is a true pundit, uh, not just in name. That's what we are all trying to be now. So we are trying to be true pundits, then, not just in name. The whole rationale for spiritual life, why is there religion or spirituality? It lies here. The Sankhya philosophy, one of the most ancient systems of Indian philosophy, um, it starts, the first verse in the oldest available text of Sankhya philosophy, the Sankhya Karika, it says, why should we undertake sp the spiritual quest at all? 
any kind of spiritual quest why should we undertake it it says that afflicted by the threefold sorrow one looks for a spiritual solution to these sorrows why a spiritual solution because no temporal solution no earthly solution is permanent or entirely satisfactory dukkha traya this is a sanskrit original and it's a very ancient text there is how we know it's very ancient is um a chinese translation of this text has been dated back to uh, to 500 uh, ad which means 1500 years ago this text was being translated into chinese and it goes much further back so dukha traya abhigatat afflicted by the threefold sorrow tad apaghatake hetu drishta sapartha chet na ekanta atyanta bhavat okay it goes like this what does it mean afflicted by the threefold sorrow who is afflicted all of us are you know i don't have threefold sorrow like never <laughs> i didn't complain sorrow relating to uh, one's own body and mind physical pain and suffering mental agony and suffering that is called one kind of sorrow adhyatmikam personal related to the self then sorrow related to other beings adhidaivikam uh, adibhautikam sorrow related to other beings so the examples given in the original scriptures are uh, quaint the, the, the other beings for example they will say lions and tigers now in manhattan you don't have so much problem from lions and tigers rats maybe yes somebody said there are more rats in manhattan than there are human beings they, they <laughs> i don't know how they calculated but so other beings it could be uh, uh, other human beings also your pestilential um, uh, neighbor also could be <laughs> a part of the problem but so the the suffering which comes from other beings second type of suffering third type of suffering adi daivikam natural causes heat and cold and tsunamis hurricanes yes florence so all of this these kinds of sufferings from the self from other people from other living beings and from nature so these three kinds of suffering of course you will notice that ultimately all suffering has to be mediated through the self it must ultimately come to the physical the body and the mind especially ultimately it must come to the mind then only we feel it as suffering but anyhow these are the three categories of suffering by the way that's also why we say om shanti 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 three times in all, all the chantings and pujas in all rituals you will see uh, in hinduism you will always have om shanti 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 om peace 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 why three because for the, we are praying for the cessation of three kinds of suffering so these three kinds of suffering i can't resist telling you this one little boy once asked me in a school in back in india why do we say oh, shanti peace three times i explain because of these three kinds of suffering and that's why we need to overcome these three kinds of suffering and he said no in, in, today we need a fourth shanti fourth shanti why he said mobile shanti you need you need to <laughs> tell people to switch up their mobiles because uh-huh. so 
for this we take up a spiritual quest now the question will come why a spiritual quest for all of these problems there are material remedies and the ancient commentators are they are very entertaining you know say if you are sick go to the doctor um of course with the qualifier depending upon your healthcare so your insurance provider what kind you have got uh then if you are uh if there is um, uh, if you are being um, you know the trouble from other people go to the law enforcement if there is um, a problem from nature take shelter so why do you need spirituality and the answer is so profound if you look at it it makes a case for spirituality atyanta ekanta abhavat there are two problems with any kind of worldly remedy to our suffering one is none of them are permanent none of them are permanent and second is none of them are certain none of them are certain permanent that is true you solve one problem another problem comes you cure one disease it's guaranteed another disease is going to come um you solve one problem another problem comes not only that no solution to any particular problem is final and the second problem is there is no certain um, solution to anything people i have uh, we we read about it i remember reading about the son of a, one of the india's richest families he got a particularly virulent kind of malaria and died in one of india's best hospitals now a rich person young person healthy person the best of me- medical care dies and there are I, we know so many poor people in the slums in there in uh, just outside that hospital who might have got that malaria and recovers there really is no certainty doctors really know that so because of these two reasons we look for a certain permanent cure to the sufferings of the world that was the buddha's quest there is suffering dukkha is there an escape a transcendence of suffering and he found that there is he called it nirvana but that is the solution that is the quest how can we attain bliss true happiness how can we truly transcend suffering that is the spiritual quest and that is related in vedanta so that the same quest is related in vedanta to knowledge you must know know what know who or what you really are knowing does it mean reading the gita then i'll i'll be enlightened not necessarily if you know the words and you don't feel it you don't you cannot honestly say to yourself that i am the atman not the body and mind i i clearly see it now i realize it now until one can say that if i just know it if i've just read the book and uh, know the words it will not work look at the words used by krishna he says anvashochastvam pragnyavadanscha bhasase he says to arjuna you speak wise words and yet you suffer wise words means you have knowledge you know and you're speaking words of knowledge and yet yet what is happening you're suffering you're obviously you you are you're crying here you are you are in uh, your anxiety you are you don't know what is to be done you are deeply depressed 
and you yet you are arguing you know he's giving a lot of arguments why i should not he's giving religious arguments why i should not fight this war and so and so forth so just knowing the words some kind of knowledge which i have and yet it's not um it is not enlightenment or realization what that what is the difference between just knowing the words and enlightenment we will see as we go along so that's not enough once you we realize what we truly are then the result of knowledge is transcendence of suffering nanu shochanti panditaha the enlightened ones the ones who know what who or what they are they do not they they transcend suffering what do they do? what what are they not sorrowful about gatasun agatasunscha they do not sorrow about those that have gone they do not sorrow about those that are they do not grieve for those that are living that might sound a little heartless but what he is saying here is not that you will not love people you will not be concerned for people that you will not do things for people he is not saying that you will take action whatever needs to be done for those who are living and those who have passed away what prayers need to be said for them what rituals need to be done for them that also you will you will do but this anxiety this this gnawing tension i've seen people have people have come you know um that i'm not good enough that i'm so unhappy uh, people uh, I, i there is you know tension about the job about the family about kids and and they might think it's natural to have this this anxiety and tension it's not it's not it comes out of a wrong idea about what we are and what they are that's what um, krishna is going to say look at arjuna's anxiety about the relatives and those who are present here the result of that anxiety result of that concern for others is not action which will t- which will do good to anybody it results in paralysis he doesn't know what to do he is uh, he is paralyzed into inactivity so he says krishna says here for those who have gone and those who are here you need not sorrow for them though you will do something for them you will serve them but one does not the enlightened person does not sorrow for them knowledge so therefore the one take away from this a central theme has been introduced here which will go on throughout the bhagavad gita and in fact all of vedanta that knowledge about the self is what we are looking for which is a big thing which is a really important point after all he could have said um it's not really knowledge about the self rather um it's belief in god if you don't have belief in god that's why you're suffering if you have belief in god you will not suffer he didn't say that or he could have said um you you are not doing the right religious rituals that's why all these problems are there let me tell you what what to do and some kind of religious ritual and that will clear up all your problems here not so much in india and in even in the footpath you will see some guy will be sitting said sales to set up shop street side astrologer so you go you go to don't go to him but if you do go to him he will he will um, uh, you tell him your sorrows and your woes and he'll say the planets are out of conjunction always they are somehow and uh, always it costs a fair bit of money to set the planets right 
and so he will say put on this uh, kind of amulet and do this ritual and then everything will be set right your sorrows will be will be over they never are they never are but people think krishna doesn't say you have to do this then your sorrows will be over no he doesn't say you have to believe this then your sorrows will be over no he doesn't even say you have to meditate like this your sorrows will be over no he says knowledge panditaha those who have realized who they are they go beyond sorrow so he points towards knowledge vedanta is a system of self knowledge knowledge about oneself having said that remember all the other practices meditation devotion morals and ethics um re- even religious rituals all of them have their place all of them have their importance and sri krishna will introduce them as time goes on as the chapters as we go ahead here he is starting with the core teaching that's the, one of the beauties of the, the vedantic texts they go straight to the point if you say i am in suffering please teach me till straight away tell you tatvamasi that thou art and they look at you carefully did it work no okay now starts uh, 18 chapters it will start <laughs> So the core teaching will be given here he starts from the 11th verse till the 25th verse yes 25th verse from the 11th verse of the second chapter to the 25th verse what am i that's what he's going to talk about think about it this way also in life we have a series of problems time to time problems come up we do not do not know what to do decision making um problems in the family problems in the job problems in the community health problems physical health issues mental health issues so many problems keep coming up from time to time and arjuna also has a specific problem now in this particular battle remember he is a warrior he has fought other battles quite happily earlier but right now he has a problem so this he has a specific problem now but overall there is a general problem of life this called the problem of samsara shoka sorrow suffering unhappiness lack of fulfillment in life that is the general problem that general problem that overall problem is problem of samsara is something that is common to all of us we don't have to fight a battle at, in the battlefield of kurukshetra that's not our problem that's arjuna specific problem now what krishna will do he will go to the root of the whole thing why is there at all a problem and the solution is atmagyana knowledge about the self know the truth the truth shall set thee free so the truth about you krishna will say it solves the problem at the root then the application he will show oh now you want to know once that is clear now what shall i do in this particular context in this battle it will become clear to you that he will clarify later he will solve arjuna's specific problem also but the root problem of samsara that's what we are interested in because we also have the same problem we also have the same problem i mean somebody said no i am fairly okay i don't really have a problem really you are not thinking about life in that case look upon our own lives somebody is 20 years old somebody 40 years old 60 70 there's somebody here 95 years old and after all these years in our life 
we have been engaged in one project overwhelming project how to make this one happy how to make this one fulfilled how well we think by getting these things you know degrees and uh, um relationships and money and uh, uh, enjoyments and experiences and so many things we keep on adding to this one in the hope of making it happy now right now after 20 years of doing this after 95 years of doing this which one among us can claim i have done it it's over i'm finally totally completely fulfilled nothing more remains to be done nobody nobody so that is the root problem of samsara lack of fulfillment the unhappiness in life is there a solution at all yes there is there is that's what this book is about proof there is a category of people who will say yes to this question there always has been a category of such people all throughout human history in every civilization who can say with confidence yes i have solved the problem of life and these are there's only one such category of people and they are what we call the enlightened ones the saints and sages of different civilizations in different periods of time different spiritual traditions they truly say they are the ones who genuinely have no complaint from life they're genuinely fulfilled and happy and wise truly wise not just an, a genetically given happy disposition some people are born happy so generally happy not that that happiness can be overcome nature knows how to overcome that happiness also <laughs> not that so here is the verse shri bhagavan uvachya the blessed lord said the enlightened ones the truly enlightened ones do not sorrow they are beyond sorrow and you you speak words of wisdom and yet you are full of sorrow the enlightened ones do not sorrow for those who are here nor for those who are gone why do they not sorrow why are they not unhappy next comes the this is a teaching about the atman the self 12th verse natvevaham jatu nasam natvevaham jatu nasam natvam neme janadhipah natvam neme janadhipah nachaiva na bhavishyamah ஜுனாட்டை not that there was a time when i was not it's not that there was a time when you were not not even was ever there a time when these assembled kings and warriors were not there na bhavishyama na chaiva na bhavishyama that means and there will not be a time when i will not be or you will not be or these kings who have assembled here will not be negatives you see 
Hereafter, there will never be a time when we will not exist. He could have said that we all, I always exist or you always exist. No. He uses a negative term to strengthen it. Because our fear is not that I existed at some time or I maybe I'll exist afterwards in some kind of world. Our fear is completely being wiped out. And he says that never was the case, never will be the case. You are immortal. Yes, you're playing at being a mortal. I love that saying. We think we are human beings in search of spirituality. The truth is we are spiritual beings having a human experience. We think that we are human beings in search of spiritual experience. The truth is we are spiritual beings having a human experience. This is what Krishna is saying. Central truth of all religion. If there is something which survives death, then only is religion, spirituality possible. If everything is wiped out at the de death of this physical body, then what's the point? What's the point? A little bit of meditation might give you some peace of mind right now. But we know we're going to die. Why get peace of mind for a mind, a mind which is going to die, which is going to go into pieces <laughs> very soon? Now, all of this, the truth claim in all religions of the world, you will notice, all religions of the world, they have this one truth claim that you are immortal. You are immortal. Krishna says, nothing can destroy you. He says here, that he's an incarnation of God. He, so he's, he, has, he has not mentioned yet that he's an incarnation. He just says that before I, I became an avatar, I descended as an avatar. It's not that I was not there. Before I came in this Krishna form, it is not that I did not exist. But I did. And there will be the time when this Krishna form will go away. See, even avatars, the body of the avatar dies. Buddha's body is gone, Christ's body is gone, Krishna's body is gone, Rama's body is gone, Ramakrishna's body is gone. So a time will come, even the body of an avatar also, it disappears from human view. But it does not mean I will not be there, I will be there. So there was never a time when I was not there and there will never be a time when I will not be there, I am eternal. Well, yeah, you're God, but not, what about me? You too, there never was a time, O oh Prince, when you were not there. Even before the birth of this body and the name you are called by Arjuna today, this young prince today. Even before you were born, you were there. And one day this body shall fall. Whether in this battle or afterwards, it shall die. And it's not that you will be gone, you will be there. Okay? And all of these people... All of them, he says, all these kings, there was never a time when they did not exist. But not in this body, not with these names. And there will never be a time when they will not exist. There will there'll never be a time when they will cease to exist. Which means they will continue to exist. Yes, bodies will pass away. They are passing away each moment. Continuously changing. Just one thing, it, uh, this language which Krishna has used... There's never a time when I did not exist. There never will be a time when there was never the time when you did not exist. The same language he uses a few chapters later in a different context, fourth chapter, fifth verse. 
he will say, O Prince, you and I and all these kings, we have had many births before this. Uh, many times have we trod trodden this cycle of life and death. We have had many births. But you remember none of them. I know all of them. Mine too and all of yours. There Krishna is revealing himself as God. Here he's just saying there is an in, there is an eternal reality which you are and I am and all of them are. That Atman or Brahman which we are calling it. And that exists. That always was existing, is existing, will continue to exist. In that sense we are immortal all the time. That, that's the only thing that Krishna is revealing. That's the central truth. But slowly Krishna will introduce other sub subjects. He will introduce the question of God. He will introduce himself as an incarnation of God. And there he says, we have had many births, the same language, but I know them all. There's a different, he begin, makes a difference. Here he's making no difference between himself and Arjuna. I have existed always and I shall continue to exist. So will you and so will all of them. But in that chapter, he makes a distinction between himself, between man and God. Clearly you do not remember your past births, nor do you know what will happen to you in the future. I know all of them. All that has happened to you in the past and all that is going to happen to you in the future. There's a thrilling, uh, small but thrilling incident in the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna when M, the author of the Gospel, um, suddenly it comes upon you without any warning. Sri Ramakrishna turns to M and says, Tell me, all your past I know and all your future do I know. Is it not so? Suddenly it comes like that. And what comes over M at that time, the author, you know, he bows down with his hands folded and says, Yes, Lord, you know. That is the difference between man and God. So here, Sri Krishna points that out. But here he says, in a, in a purely Vedantic sense, that means here basically he is saying, We are Atman. We are that existence consciousness bliss. Here he is revealing for the first time the nature of the Atman. What is the nature of the Atman? The first thing. It is immortal, it is eternal, it is unchanging. It is not born with the birth of the body. It does not age with the aging of the body. It does not die with the death of the body. He does not say you, he does not say it. He says you were not born with the birth of the body. You do not age with the aging of the body. You do not die with the death of the body. Many times bodies have come and gone. Many li lives you have lived, many names you have had, but you continue. So the Atman, the first thing about the Atman is that it is immortal. The f teaching about, central teaching about Vedanta. Sri, Sri Ramakrishna, when he told Swami Vivekananda, there's a famous thing, you know, where, uh, that uh, incident where he told Swami Vivekananda that uh, he who was Rama, he who was Krishna is in this body Ramakrishna. But not in your Vedantic sense. He, he told Swami Vivekananda. What is the Vedantic sense? The Vedantic sense is this one. In the Vedantic sense, we are all Brahman. Whether, whether it is Sri Ramakrishna or Krishna or Rama or Christ or Buddha or you or him or her or, or, or I. All of us are that one existence consciousness place. That's what Krishna is telling Arjuna here.
That's the Vedantic sense. What's not the Vedantic sense? What's the special sense? That's what Krishna will say in the fourth chapter, fifth verse that I know them all, you do not. That's what Sri Ramakrishna mentioned to Swami, to Narendra, to Vivekananda. Not in your Vedantic sense. Means actually, you and I, there is a difference. Difference at the, at the temporal level, at the relative level. That he is the Lord and you are a sentient being. What is a sentient being? What is, the, the Sanskrit word for that is Jiva. Krishna says we are Atman. Then what is Arjuna? What are you or I? Right now, what, why are we like this? This is called Jiva. What is Jiva? Jiva is a special mixture of Atma and Anatma. Anatma means not self. The self and not self. A mixture. What has happened is, that same Brahman, Satchidananda, existence, consciousness, bliss, because of Maya, not knowing its own nature, experiences a mind, thoughts, emotions, feelings, a personality. And through the mind experiences a body and through the body and mind experiences a world. This, that same infinite Atman, limited through, channelized through particular bodies and minds are particular jivas, the, who, whom we see ourselves as. These jivas, us, we go through life after life. We undertake birth with the birth of the body. We experience the aging of these bodies. We experience the destruction of bodies. We experience the getting of new bodies. We experience the person inside. The mind, the subtle body. Which goes from life to life. This physical body will die. A few days later, few weeks, few months, few years later. It will die. But the subtle body. With all the impressions of past births and this birth, it goes on to other lives. In a Vedantic sense, there is a certain thing as a sukshma sharira, a subtle body. If you, there are other versions of this. A Buddhist will say there is no such thing as a subtle body, but it's a process, like a wave, one after another, rising and falling. That continues. But the Atman is neither the physical body nor the subtle body. Not Sthula Sharira, not Sukshma Sharira. The Atman is eternal, unchanging. The subtle body also changes, continuously changes and evolves. It will go on until enlightenment. When physical body also drops away, the subtle body also drops away. And that enlightened Jiva finally attains its infinite nature as Atman. So that is going to be the story. If you think... This sound, all this sounds suspiciously like Aparoksha Anubhuti, the non-dualistic text which we were doing earlier. Yes, the beginning, at for some time it will go on like that. Krishna will sound very much like a staunch non-dualist teacher, which he is of course. But afterwards, he is going to introduce so many things. Devotion, the love of God, what is God in the whole scheme of things, the avatara, the incarnation of God. He will introduce meditation, down to the details. From the highest philosophy, existence, consciousness, bliss, down to the details, how to sit, how to breathe, how to concentrate, what to eat, exercise and sleep, all of that will come. Uh, morals, morality and immorality, all that will come. Yes. I have a question about infinite. Yes. Yes, there's a question here. The question is about infinite. How do we define infinite? 
it's not and you don't mean infinite space or infinite time good question one of my favorite subjects um but i will not take too much time but i'll let me just tell you a little bit about it it's a very good question because it is fashionable in such talks especially new age stuff and spiritual talks to throw around words like um all pervading infinite beyond suffering but it's not rhetorical vedanta in vedanta we precisely mean what we say and Uh, everything what that we say has a precise meaning so for example when you say infinite let me just say a few things about it when we in vedanta we say infinite the word for infinite in vedanta is ananta ananta means limitless literally limitless now in english word infinite has many meanings mathematicians talk about the infinite cantor was a, a great mathematician and uh, he is well known for his work on the infinite there is not one infinite in in mathematics there are many infinite we, we have learned this in school there are different orders of infinites the uh, set of uh, um, uh, natural numbers is infinite there is no limit you can always have plus 1 n plus 1 set of whole numbers is infinite the set of the fractions uh, real numbers between 1 and 2 there is infinite number of fractions you can have so there are many many infinites in mathematics that is not the infinite vedanta is talking about poetically you can talk about the infinitude of space on the eternity of time that's not what vedanta is talking about what is vedanta talking about when it means infinite there's a very precise definition of the infinite what is that it infinite in vedanta means ananta no limit what do you mean no limit There are three kinds of limits in Vedanta. When we talk about limits, there are three kinds of limits: limitation in space, limitation in time, and limitation by object. What do I mean by that? I'll explain. Limitation in space means that uh, something is in one located in a particular space and is not in other places. It's something very simple. You are here in this hall. means very clearly you are not in the subway or you are not at home so you are located here you are limited to this hall but you are not in other places that is called limitation in space uh, in sanskrit desha parichedaha limitation in space parichedaha literally means cutting off you are cut off in space here this much and no more than that now infinite would mean देश परिच्छेद शून्य नॉट लिमिटेड इन स्पेस नॉट लिमिटेड इन स्पेस फॉलो दिस केयरफुल इट्स ऑल मैथमेटिक ऑलमोस्ट लाइक मैथमेटिकल डेरिवेशन नॉट लिमिटेड इन स्पेस वुड मीन वॉट ओमनी प्रेजेंट देर इज नो स्पेस वेर इट इज नॉट देर इज नो स्पेस वेर इट इज नॉट दैट्स वन the second kind of limitation is limitation in time in sanskrit kala parichheda what is limitation in time something is an entity is from this period of time to this period of time birth death created destroyed 
It could be a mosquito born at this period in the few days it's dead. It could be a human being living for 100 years. It could be a star living for billions of years. But still they have all got limitation in time. Time of creation, time of The Buddha put it very beautifully. He said and starkly, all compounded things decay. That which has been put together will fall apart. That which has begun will end. All meetings end in separation. The Buddha. What a wet blanket. <laughs> um, so limitation in time. In fact, yesterday I was at the Rubin Museum and they asked me to speak about impermanence. What is impermanence? It's limitation in time. Beginning and end. Now suppose we are now talking about the infinite. Infinite means not limited. If something is not limited in time, then what will happen to that something? Eternal. Correct. Somebody said eternal. It, there is never a period of time when it is not. Do you notice what Krishna just did? He just said that you are not limited by time. Did you notice that? In a, in, if you put it in technical language. What did he just say? There was never a time when I was not or you were not or these kings were not. There will never be a time when we will not be. There never was a time when we did not exist. There never will be a time when we will not exist. Which means, to put it in philosophical language, we are not, that, that entity which is not limited by time, that means there is never a period of time when that entity does not exist. That is called unlimited in time, infinite in time. Then the third one is very interesting. Not limited by object. Remember, we are talking about infinite. Infinite, no limits. Limit, one kind of limit is limit by object. What do you mean by limit by object? It's a peculiar uh, conception. In Sanskrit, it is called vastu paricheda. Vastu paricheda means limited by object. It simply means this. A thing is itself and not anything else. So a book is a book, it's not a dog or, or it's not a, a star or it's not a human being, it's a book. And this book is only this book and nothing else. It's the law of identity. A is A and therefore it is different from all not A. So you are you, if you are you, if you are identical to yourself, it automatically means you are different from the trillions of other entities in this universe. True, you understand this, what it means? Simple logical fact. Limitation by object means if a thing is a particular object, and we all are particular objects right now, these bodies are, in that case, if it is a particular object, it cannot be anything else, so it's different from everything else. It has a, the moment you have an identity apart from others, you mean that you are this and not anything else. All the other billions of entities are now separate from you. This is called limitation by object and every object has this limitation. It has to have. Think about it. What do our, um, our uh, social security numbers do? Why aren't social security numbers you know, common, interchangeable, same? No, they have to be unique because it has to set you apart from everybody else. So, suppose now, let me ask you this question. Suppose something does not have this limitation. If something does not have a space limitation, it is omnipresent everywhere. If something does not have a time limitation, it is eternal, beginningless, endless. If something does not have an 
object limitation, what will happen to it? If something has an object limitation, it is different from everything else. If something does not have an object limitation, what will happen to it? Only one, not many. Correct. All pervading. Permanent already we have got it because not limited in, in, in time. Ah, yes. All right, let's put all of that together. All pervading. What does it mean? If it is not limited by object, if it's limited by object, every other object in the universe is different from it. If it is not limited by object, no object in the universe is different from it. There is no object in the universe different from this entity, this infinite entity. No object different from the infinite entity implies no second thing apart from it. There is only one, not two. Somebody said that? That implies non-duality, Advaitam. Now, put it all together. Limitations are of three kinds. Space limitation, time limitation, object limitation. It holds true of everything in the universe. But suppose there is something which is has no limitation in time, no limitation in space, no limitation in, by object. It will become all-pervasive. It will become um, eternal. It will become non-dual. Advaitam, non-dual. The only reality of the universe. One without a second. So this is the meaning of infinite in um, Advaita, in, in Vedanta. It immediately follows. In mathematics, you have multiple infinites. Many, many infinite. Infinite infinites, I think. And there are orderings of infinites. In Vedanta, how many infinites can there be? One only. No second. You cannot have two infinites. You cannot have, in fact, any other thing apart from that infinite. Because if you have a second thing apart from that infinite, then it's not truly infinite. The real infinite, there can be only one non-dual infinite and nothing in the universe can be apart from it. If it is, then this thing is not infinite. Neither are infinite then. You say, oh fine, this sounds like great uh, philosophy, theoretical. Any practical implication? Oh yes. Such a thing exists. Such an entity, an infinite entity which is all-pervasive, it pervasive, eternal and which in fact is non-dual. Nothing in this universe is different from it. Such an entity exists. What is it? Where is it? Krishna says here, what he has said in effect is, you are that. That thou art, tattvamasi. If you would know yourself, you would realize that you are this infinite. Is it possible to know oneself like that? I actually have a talk where I just taken out one component from the talk and I given it to you. It's called Defining God. Go up, go and look it up. It's on YouTube. It's from the Taittiriya Upanishad. The definition of Brahman. What is that ultimate reality? Satyam Jnanam Anantam Brahma. Taittiriya Upanishad, the second chapter. The Brahman is infinite existence consciousness. Each word has to be analyzed and unpacked there. So the word infinite is unpacked. And the word infinite is unpacked there. And how is it unpacked? What I just told you. A little more detail I've explained there. 
then this unpacked word infinite is now applied to the terms existence and consciousness and then the, the result will be you will realize that there's such a thing is there infinite existence infinite awareness and that I am right now right here always have been always will be it naturally follows from that and can we know it yes that, um, that, that talk itself points out how you will know it but Krishna will take 18 chapters to point that out so we will go on with Krishna I think I've run out of time but anyway it's good that you ask this question it's a very important verse it is not that in any period of time I did not exist look he's denying the limitation in time here it's not that in any period of time you did not exist or these kings did not exist and it's not that there will be any period of time in the future when you or I or these kings will not exist he's saying that you are eternal all of us are there many eternals you can ask immediately it follows so each of us is an eternal millions of eternal uh, souls but now what put together what we just read we, we just discussed the infinite can only be one in that case there is only one truly eternal entity that is also non-dual and all pervasive it's good that you ask this question it draws out all these implications and you are that eternal all pervasive non-dual entity in fact the only reality of this universe that you are it means also not one thing in this universe is different from you there is no separation between you and the universe the real you and the universe and the even more startling claim is you can you can actually see this have an insight into this actually see it as a living reality that is called enlightenment and that will easily effortlessly take you beyond all sorrows forever I remember I end with this standing in front of our main monastery in Belurmat about 15 years ago talking about this with a young monk a very wonderful young monk he was a novice at that time with earn, I still remember it's so thrilling to hear that I can still remember his, the earnestness in his voice he says Swami if one just reads this and begins to understand what has been said here after this what complaint what sorrow what unhappiness how can you complain about anything after this even just, to, just if you intellectually assent to it and understand it realization of course but even before that most of the at least theoretical problems of life are solved but it's not enough to solve the theoretical problems hmm. suffering is very important this, this particular verse just this one fact I always was and I always will be just one more thing here Krishna or I'll mention it next time just let me just give you the hint normally the way I introduced it self and not self atma anatma self and not self but Krishna does not do that exactly he says body and the one embodied in the body deha dehi that's a more natural way of approaching it why the moment you speak about things like self not self already sounds philosophical what exactly is a self 
but nobody will ask what exactly is the body body and the one in the body that's exactly what krishna is saying and that's so easy to identify and feel with he says the bodies are perishable the one in the body you you are imperishable you are infinite you are eternal and this is what he is going to demonstrate and help us to realize that in the language of um, devotion one swami so this same thing remember knowledge devotion all of them they take you to the same realization in the language of devotion bodies belong to the earth you in the body you belong to god bodies are earthly you are heavenly <laughs> remember bodies will come and go they are continuously changing that was the discussion yesterday in the ruben museum impermanence the buddha said anityam anityam sarvam anityam transient transient all is transient it's not just transient if it's transient it's all right we say that let the cookie be impermanent who wants a permanent eternal cookie anyway it just has to last long enough for me to put it on my mouth and in my mouth and enjoy the taste and that should be enough but that also i i know that i am uh, i am transient i'm not eternal but if i live for 100 120 years i'm it's good enough for me but that also buddha says next step kshanikam kshanikam sarvam kshanikam momentary momentary all is momentary not even lasting for one year two years or one minute or two minute he says momentary moment to moment things are arising and perishing there's a lot of philosophy behind this in buddhism and this doesn't stop there we feel like saying stop stop that's already bad enough he says and what follows from that third step deeper you go deeper shunyam shunyam sarvam shunyam empty empty all is empty void void all is void and therefore putting them all together all is transient all is momentary all is empty put them together the result is dukkham dukkham sarvam dukkham suffering suffering indeed all is suffering so that is the first noble truth of the buddha it's a pessimistic and he said no wet wet blanket no heinrich zimmer in fact is a well known indologist he points out beautifully he says the philosophies of india this or buddhism or whatever they are not actually pessimistic they are all optimistic what is pessimism a dark picture and that's the only reality no dark picture there's darkness here there is the veritable sun shining there is the possibility of release of uh, liberation salvation nirvana whatever you call it enlightenment eternity that is possible so that is the goal i often start with a chant you know not today but in other lectures asatoma sadgamaya tamasoma jyotirgamaya mrityurmaga mritam gamaya from the unreal to the real from darkness unto light from death to immortality that's the whole purpose of vedanta unreal to real unreal this body real the atman from darkness unto light darkness the ignorance thinking that we are this body mind this is who we are light and the infinite atman from death to immortality follows immediately this body death is guaranteed jatasya hi dhruvo mrityu in bhagavad gita will say certain indeed is death for those who are born 
but for the atman amritam immortality absolutely so that is the journey which we have to undertake om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna arpanamastu